James. Oh, my favorite book. I hope it's your favorite book. I hope as you've been reading ahead and and preparing that you're finding that you're falling in love with the scripture as much as I am going through this. And as as it's challenging as it it is to me, it it can be for you as well. It's life-changing. If you remember in the beginning in chapter 1, we discussed facing trials. We saw that in the first few four verses. And then we saw the importance last week of spiritual maturity. And that spiritual maturity is the key for you to live a good Christian life. Without maturity, you do not receive. Without maturity, you don't react properly to trials that are allowed to come into your life. And we understand now in the Christian faith that patience helps you endure trials. But patience is also produced by those trials. One feeds the other. And spiritual maturity, which brings stability in one's life, doesn't come from a lack of hardship, but of faith in the midst of it. And if you are not sure how to deal with the difficulties you're facing you have the best possible resource we learn. In James chapter 1, verse 5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. As a child of God, my brother, my sister, that's speaking of you. You're the him, you're you're the her that he's speaking to, that he was willing, if you're just willing to humble yourself and ask. But you have to do your part. You have to ask. That means you have the right heart of realizing you need help. Do you realize that? When you come to God, you you humble yourself to a point of really understanding and accepting That you and I need help. Hello? And when you are in these tough spots of life, going through that test or that temptation, that's when you ask God for wisdom. Oh, but let me encourage you that you ask God before you're into the next, that next trial or tribulation or temptation. You must learn to come to him daily to seek help. Or at least come and be worshiping in thankfulness of the fact that you're not in a trial at that moment. You're not in that temptation moment. Normally in a trial, we ask not for wisdom. We just ask, please deliver me from this. Oh, deliver me from this. Deliver me from this. Let me remind you, my brothers and sisters, you've already been delivered. You're saved. God delivered you from all bondage, all sin, all is, you've been forgiven. So when you say, I need to be delivered, you're already delivered. You're going to learn today it's because you choose based on your desires to stay where you're at. Oh, I know that's heavy. I know it's heavy. Because so quickly, we're so easy to blame someone else in your life that has caused the problem. Fathers and mothers always get the, the worst blunt of it. My mom and dad did it to me. And once you get past that, because you're really old, you can't do that as a teenager anymore. Then you blame your spouse. Or blame your kids. Or you blame your boss. Or you blame your neighbors. You blame, you blame everybody. And eventually you get to a point you start blaming God. Oh, I know this is speaking to you today. If he'd only deliver me. Hello? You don't know the scripture. He's already delivered you. You just haven't accepted that deliverance. You haven't chose to walk away from the things of the flesh and the things of the world. It's your decision. He's going to give you. He has gives you the the Holy Spirit lives within you as a child of God to give you the power to continue to walk that is pleasing to him. Nothing's holding you back. And as we see this in the scripture, 
that we so many times will not ask for wisdom, but just deliverance from the trial. But if trials produce patience, as we've learned, and improve our faith, doesn't it make more sense to ask God what he wants you to do and to learn from this test, this trial, that he's allowed in your life? Rather than getting drunk or plotting a revenge on someone because of the situation at hand, yes, it's challenging, yes, it's a testing, but instead of turning to something or someone else to compensate, to bring comfort to your flesh, to ease your mind, to satisfy the revenge that you have of unforgiveness, Instead, ask God what he wants you to get out of the testing situation that brings you closer to him than ever before. That's the question. And where you answer or ask that question, even if you ask that question, tells you where you are spiritually mature or you're not. Because if you don't ask the question, you're not spiritually mature. And if you are asking that question after a period of time, it means you're growing. This is encouraging. Because you're willing to ask the question. Now the question is, if you're maturing, then you will accept what he has for you. And we talked about it last week. Don't get on the merry-go-round and go through the test. Go through the test, go through the test again, and go through the test again and again and again. And eventually you're going to get worn out. It's going to break you, and that's probably a good thing. He will provide for you. God will provide through you through this test. And you can't afford to be tossed around by the situation only so long. You can, as, as we read and in, in, in studied in James chapter 1, verse 6, but let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven, tossed by the wind. Eventually, you're going to get seasick on that boat. You're going to be tossed around in ups and downs, and you're going to say, get me off this boat. If you get off the boat too quickly, you're not going to learn from the situation at hand. You're just going to get on another boat and it's going to toss you around once again. So important. We don't waste the testing. That testing experience that you're going through. By denying it. Or hiding from it. Or be in despair and bitter or angry about it. But desire to learn from it the first time. That you don't have to go through it again a second time to learn it. Be teachable the first time you have the trial. James drew a distinction between being tested and being tempted here in James in the first chapter. We talked about facing trials. Today we're going to be facing and talking about facing temptations. And what is the difference? God allows testing and trials so that the proper attitude of a child of God, you can show and reveal the maturity of your faith. That's all trials do. It just reveals where you are in your faith in God. By the reading of the word of God is what builds your faith. Trials just shines a light on where you're at in your journey as a Christian. A mature person is patient in trials. Facing trials are testings from on the outside coming against you. And sometimes they are facing temptations that are from within. But understand, trials may be tests set by God, allowed by God, or they may be temptations set by Satan or his demonic forces against you. 
but also temptations can come and are encouraged by our own fallen nature. But why, do, why does James connect the two of trials and temptations? Why? Aren't they the same, basically? No, they're not the same. What is it in the relationship between the testing without and temptations within? It's simply this. If we are not careful, the testing on the outside will become a temptation on the inside. And it's at this point, when we understand when a circumstance happens in our life, a situation happens in our life, mentally or emotional state, it becomes extremely difficult for you. And I'm not denying it's not difficult. I'm not saying you won't have overwhelming mental and emotional and circumstances and situations in your life that are not difficult and overwhelming. But we may find ourselves complaining and questioning God's love for you and resist his will for you in that trial and and tribulation. And that is the delicate part for you and I as a Christian. Is that at this point, Satan looks at your life or his demonic forces and looks and provides us with an opportunity or a vehicle to escape the difficulty of that trial. And it's this opportunity, it's this vehicle that... The world offers you, your flesh looks for, with Satan and the demonic forces ready to provide, is what we call temptation. It's the test aligned plus the desire, in line plus opportunity equals temptation. Obviously, God does not want us to yield to temptation. Yet, neither can God spare us from the experience of temptation. We are not God's sheltered people that never is tempted. We are God's people who are scattered to do his work. And that is why temptation is available coming after us. Because we're in the world. We're around the world. We're um, experiencing things that are coming against us. That is darkness. We are to spiritually mature. And we will face testings. And we will face temptations. And there are some truths that we must consider if we are to overcome facing temptations. We see this here today in verse, uh, verse, chapter 1, verse 12. We must consider God's judgment when it comes to temp- facing temptations. We must consider the consequences when we're facing temptations. That's the very first thing that James, the writer here, says to the readers. It says, blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been proved, approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the woman. It sounds very much of the, um, the Jesus' beatitudes that we find in Matthew chapter 5 through 7. That we see this Sermon on the Mount of the blessed is the man. And you'll be blessed if you follow through this. But we also know that in the Beatitudes, that's not the only place we see a blessings that come to us as a, as a child of God. We see it right here in verse 12. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. In those great statements that Jesus made on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus did not tell us the only ways to be blessed, but ones that we find in the remaining of the Scripture, the Holy Scripture here, is that we're blessed if we endure temptation. It does not say blessed is the man who never's tempted, (laughs) as much as you'd like to. 
Nor does it say blessed is the man who finds all temptation easy to avoid and easy to defeat. Doesn't say that either. Instead, the promise of blessing, the blessedness, is given to the one who endures temptation. There's a special gift of blessedness from God to you for enduring temptation. Because God is going to bless the one who can say yes to God. Yes, God. Yes, God. Yes, God. Yes, I will please you. Yes, I will follow you. Yes, I will move forward with your direction that you have in my life. Yes, yes, yes. And when you keep saying yes, you will not say no. What God has for you. We must practice saying, yes, I'm going to do it God's way, and no, I will not follow that temptation any longer. Your decision. Don't blame God. Don't put it, don't blame God that He somehow He hasn't done His part, and that's why I'm where I'm at in my temptations. Oh no, 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 no. Stop blaming God. Move on from that. You've been delivered. If you're a child of God, if you have been born again, you're regenerated, you've already been delivered. You have chosen to stay where you're at. And he's given you the Holy Spirit, the helper, God himself living within you. So don't get over this whole spiritual thing of I'm not empowered by the Holy Spirit yet. The only reason why you're not empowered by the Holy Spirit is because you're grieving the Holy Spirit because you're in sin. We have a good, good Father. And He holds no blessings back from His children. None. He loves you. He wants the best for you. He's right there for you. The Spirit of God is waiting daily, throughout the day, 24-7, wanting to speak with you and wanting to hear from you, ready to empower you to do what God has for your life. Blessed is the man who endures temptation for when he has been approved. He will receive, she will receive the crown of life. Notice, verse 12, you should have it circled with a P in front of it. It says, where do I see a promise from God? Right here in verse 12. Lord has promised. It's pretty clear. I don't have to spell that one out, do you? Do I? Do I? No, no. Lord has promised to those who love him. Do you love him? Hello? Do you love him? Oh, it reminds me of how Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Can we find somewhere from agape love to friendship? Can we sign somewhere? Where are you at in the spectrum here, Peter? Where are you in the spectrum? Do you just know of God? That kind of love? Yeah, you know, I can tolerate it. Or do you want a deeper love? Because there's a crown of life. It's a promise that God says he's going to give to you and I. Temptation is one of those various trials that he, James talked about in verse, tw- uh, verse 2. That we face, that we're going to face. These trials, he's persevering through temptations. We are approved. We will be rewarded as the work of God is evident through the resistance of temptation. When we resist the temptation, we're approved to show that God is working in and through our lives and that we're obedient to his direction and in our lives. It just shows where you are in your spiritual walk. It shows how deep your faith is in God. But the promise of the crown of life, which the Lord has promised. James reminds his readers That it is worth 
the struggle. It's worth it to endure under the temptations that we face. It's worth it. Our steadfastness will be rewarded as we demonstrate our love for Jesus. And how do we demonstrate our love for Jesus? By resisting temptation. That we demonstrate and prove that our love for Jesus is more important, that relationship is more important than that temptation. Jesus references crown of life when he tells the church of Smyrna in Revelation 2 verse 10, not be, not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. <laughs> no one likes to hear that word. You're about to suffer. You're going to suffer. Be faithful even to the point of death and I will give you the crown of life. Hello? To those who love him, it really shows you where, if you want to overcome the facing of those temptations, how do you overcome? What's the motive? Right there. To those who love him describes the motive for resisting temptation. Because our love for God, the passion of sinful temptation can only really be overcome by having a greater passion. And it's, it's a passion to, to honor and glorify your relationship with God and what Jesus has done for you. It's only that love that will allow you to wreck, approve or demonstrate what you may say out of your mouth so easy for some people. I love Jesus. I'll sing to Jesus. But you do not resist temptation. You live in temptation. And you sometimes actually... Have no problem with the temptations. Then it doesn't line up with what you say. Oh yes, you might sing it. But the question is, is your love for him a motive to allow you to resist the temptations in your life? That's the question. Where you are on that spectrum of maturity of spirituality. Some resist temptation because of the fear of man. The thief suddenly becomes honest when he sees the policeman. The man or woman controls their lust because they can't bear to be found out or be revealed and be so embarrassed. Others resist temptations to one sin because of the power of another sin. You could even take a greedy miser, all the money available to him, and he'll give up the party scene only because he's so stingy with his money, he doesn't want to waste his money anymore. But the best motive for resisting temptation is to love Jesus. To love God. To love him with greater power and greater passion than your love for the sin in your life. Love for God enables believers who undergo temptation to rest confidently in him. Why do a lot of Christians not have peace of God? Because they don't rest in him. Because they do, you know, their love for God is not where it should be. To endure temptation rightly is to endure it because you love God. Many people come to Jesus because of fear of going to hell. But they won't stay there. After six months or after a year of trying to try to walk with God and, and learn this whole thing about Christianity and their whole life is upside down and it's not like it used to be, 
And the temptations will come because the trials are so heavy that after six months, if that, maybe up to a year, if they're not growing spiritually and it doesn't go from fear of going to hell and now going to the love of God and the passion for who He is, you will go back to the old life. You'll be like the dog going back to your vomit. And it always gets worse than what you were living in sin before you came to Christ. You'll go back and it'll be darker and worse than ever before. Because they didn't grow in the, 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 the love for God. They just kept saying, keep me from hell, keep me from hell, keep me from hell. Yes, I don't want to go to hell. Oh, please don't, don't torture me. Don't, don't, don't bring anything bad about me. Oh, please. Every day is all about, God, please don't judge me. I, I deserve judgment. Oh, I'm terrible, I'm terrible, I'm terrible. Eventually you overcome that fear and you'll go back to the old life. Watched it play out more times than I can ever imagine a count now. Because they didn't come to Jesus and solidify an anchor in their love for Jesus. Why did Jesus say to the disciples, when the disciples, when things got really tough, the trials came so tough, Jesus is going to die. He told them that he's going to die. He's going to the cross. The enemies, the religious leaders, everyone, the friends, families, they're all abandoning these, these disciples. And now all of the disciples started scattering. What did he say to the disciples? What did he say to Peter? Are you guys going to leave me too? We're talking about the dudes that were hanging with Jesus for three years. And he had to ask him at the end of the day. Three years. We're not talking six months or a year. Three years. Are you going to leave me too? Where will I go? Peter said, where will I go to go? I'm not going to leave you. Where will I go? You think I'm going to go back to the old life? That was destroying me? The sinful life that was just absolutely ravaging my life and everyone around me. You think, I'm, I'm gonna, there's nowhere to go. It's only following you, Jesus. That matters. You have the answer to life. Hence why James says, you will receive the crown of life. You've got to get to a point. We all have to get to the point. And you have to ask yourself, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against my God? You, you cannot fall into sin. Because it would grieve him who loves him and whom they love with all their hearts. How could I do this and fall into that sin against the one I love so much? How can I, Lord, I want to go deeper. I want to get in your word. I want to go deeper. Because I want my love so deep with you that I will love you more than myself. Because, Lord, I've come to the end of myself. Because I realize the more I think about myself, the more miserable I have become. Understand, believers are in danger of falling before the attacks and pressures of trials. But they're also subject to falling before the attractions and pleasures of temptation. Just as wrong reaction to a testing that is allowed in your life and how you do not pass that test and will obstruct your spiritual growth and maturity, so will a wrong response to temptation. So James gives the solution or gives a clarity to his writers or his, to his listeners here, to his readers. He says James outlines the, not only the source of temptation. But the steps in temptation, and he also gives the solution for facing temptations. Look at verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, 
I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. So temptation does not come from God, period. Do I need to say it again? Temptation does not come from God. Tests come from God, not temptation. He himself does not entice us to any form of any ounce of any level of any weight of evil at all. God, yes, may test us. May allow a trial in our life to test our faith. But he does not solicit evil into our lives. Period. James knew that most people have an evil tendency to blame God when they find themselves in a trials and temptations they're not willing to overcome. Or they can't see how they're going to figure out how to overcome it. Because they live by sight and not by faith. Yet by his very nature, God's nature, God is unable to either be tempted, in the sense of being tempted like you and I are tempted, nor does he himself tempt anyone. He shows the great cause of sin right here in this verse. He shows the great cause of sin and that lust that has a greater hand in either the devil or any of his instruments he may want to use to come into, against you in your life. Because no devil, no demonic force, no tool that, that maybe demonic forces use another person in your life can cause you to fall to temptation without your permission and a willingness to do it. God sometimes allows great tests to come to his people. Even some who might be thought of his even to a surprise that God would allow that kind of trial to come into his favorites. The real spiritual ones. The ones who seem to have it all together on the outside spiritually. Look at the test of their trial they're going through. That is absolute. How could God allow that to happen? You ever say, hear it? Say it? Why would you be surprised? If you know the scripture, why would you be surprised? Abraham fell into that. God tested him, did he not? He had a very hard commandment he gave to Abraham in Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 and 2. You're going to sacrifice your son. Hello? Please, Lord. That's a test. How about Lot? Or I should say Job. How about the affliction he was going to be bestowed upon him and Job in the first two chapters of Job? That's a heavy read. Yet in no case does God entice a person to evil. God tests, Satan tempts. But it's the same trial that you're going through may be both a temptation and a trial. And it may be a trial from God's side and a temptation from Satan's side. God will allow a trial to come in your life, but Satan will come along and look for an opportunity to be a temptation in that situation. A trial may be financial. You're financially in deep trial and testing right now. And God has allowed it because of 
The fact that your decisions, or maybe it's not, maybe it's a loss of job that you didn't ask for. You didn't do anything to cause the loss of job. Now it's causing a financial challenge, but be careful. Watch out. It's only a test, only a test. It, God is going to provide. But if you're not careful, that financial testing, that trial can turn into a temptation. If you turn where all of a sudden your flesh decides or Satan decides or someone suggests in your life to say, take a drug and escape from the difficulty that is testing you. And the financial test is now turned into a temptation and you you fall to that temptation by starting to take a drug or take a drink or take a whatever to try to comfort you through this trial, financial trial. That is how the temptation comes. The pressure was too great for you. Why was it too great for you? Because you did not turn to God for the strength to endure the trial. That is why you are tempted. That is why you will fall to temptation. It's not God who brings the drug your way. It's not God who tempts you with the pornography. It's not God who tempts you with the drink. It is not God who tempts you with that person. But we see in verse 14, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Where's the source of temptation come from? Verse 14, circle it, highlight it, bold it, whatever colors you want. But when you say, oh, I don't know how I fell to that temptation, let me make sure you understand the scripture today. It's not God's fault. It is not the person's fault. You can't even blame the devil on this one. The scripture is clear, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. The source of temptation is from within a person, and that is you. I know that's heavy for someone someone here today. Because the psychobabble out there tells you other things. It's just a disease. You have no control over it. A lie from the pit of hell. God doesn't tempt us. Instead, temptation comes from when we're drawn away by our own fleshly desires and enticed. The world will offer you things. The devil will offer you things. Demonic forces will offer you things. But it's always based upon the offering to you what you've already desired. If you're really honest with ourselves, we realize the offering to you, the opportunity, the vehicle that is offered to you is coming only this direction because he's, they're just watching what your desire projection is of the desires that you're trying to deal with the difficulty or deal with the emptiness or deal with the dryness or deal with the, the things in your life that you have not chosen to walk away from. And here comes the opportunity. And when those two cross, that's when you fall into temptation. I don't know how that happened, Pastor. It just happened. Oh, how many times I've heard that one. It starts with the mind. And when fully conceived, as we will see, by a desire of your heart that goes against God, opportunity will come to meet that need. Oh, I tell men all the time, get your, get your mind, mind in God. Oh, ladies, get your mind on God. Oh, be in whatever desire, whatever pleases him. Get your mind set on that. Because if you don't, it's only a matter of time. That desire will be fulfilled. And it will fall to temptation. You will fall. It's only a matter of time. 
because you desire it and you will be enticed. No temptation appears as temptation. <laughs> do you want to know? Do you know that? No temptation appears as temptation. Never is like that. It always seems more alluring than it really is. It's just a little dangly, shiny object. It just draws you. It's like a fish. He uses a fishing terminology almost kind of. A, it's enticing by the shiny baited hook. And the fish is drawn toward it. Or from a harlot. Drawing a man down her dark path, alluring him with the bait of pleasure and commitment and of understanding. There's a commitment of fornication and foolishness with her. And it always appears to be fun and I'm just lonely and I just need companionship. It it always sounds good. I just need companionship, Pastor. I just, I'm feeling lonely, Pastor. I just want to say, they're really nice people. and And he just, I understand the luring. It's a hook. Satan will certainly tempt you. But the only reason temptation has a hook in it or ability to hook us is because of our fallen nature, our fleshly desires, which corrupts our God-given desires. The normal desire of life was given by God for you as a human being. It was given to us by God and of themselves are not sinful. Without these desires, we would not function as a human being. Unless we feel hunger and thirst, we would not eat or drink what we need to take in and we would die. Without fatigue to our bodies, then our body would never rest and would wear out and we would collapse. These are natural driven drives God builds into us. If we did not have the drive to breathe, we would stop breathing. Sex is normal desire, and without it, the human race would not continue. But it's when we take these natural desires and go outside of God's will for those natural desires, outside of God's will, that we get into trouble. Eating normal is great, but when you eat abnormally, we call gluttony, it's a sin. When you use food to comfort yourself because you're going through these emotional and these uh, physical and these challenging situations, it's a sin to use food as a comfort. It's gluttony. Sleep is normal, but when you sleep all the time and you cook, you're into laziness and you're a sluggard, it's a sin. When marriage is honorable and in the bed is undefiled, it is good, it's right. But fornicators and adulterers of, will be judged by God. We saw that in Hebrews chapter 13 verse 4. See, we often give credit way too much to Satan for tempting his tempting powers. Oh, and he has tempting powers. He can entice you in amazing ways. But we give him way too much credit because really the source of temptation starts with your desire. The desires that are in your life that is not in line with God's will. Temptation always carries with it some bait that appears to our natural desires. 
Don't get me wrong. You know me. Give me a brownie. That's the biggest bait you can give to me to just lure me wherever you want to at times. But the bait not only attracts us and gets our attention, but it also hides the fact that submitting to the desire of that bait will eventually bring sorrow, punishment, and destruction and a lot of brownie weight on your body. See, Lot would never have moved to Sodom. But what was the bait that enticed him to go to Sodom? Do you remember? Because it was well-pleasing to see that well-watered plain of Jordan. Oh, that's where I want to live. Oh, that's a great place to start a ministry in Hawaii. It's Oh, it's just beautiful. Oh, I want to live here because there's no snow. Oh, I want to live here because there's all these little available things in the city available, places to eat. Oh, yes, yes. Oh, the cuisines and oh, yes, 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 yes. I got it. Oh, the biggest one up here I learned in California never heard this. Pastor, I'm moving because I can't have my guns. You're making a decision where you're going to move because you can't have guns? Do you think God cares about your guns in your life? Are you serious? Guns are your God. That is amazing to me. That hurt. For some of you, that hurt. I know. God will comfort you. Let me pat you now. When David was looking at his neighbor's wife and he saw the lust of wanting that beautiful woman, Bathsheba, he never looked beyond just wanting to have her. He is so enticed by her, but if he would only have realized that he would have had to face watching that son be put to death. Would he have done it? Would he have thought through in the fact that that would result in a murder of a, one of his best soldiers leading his soldiers, Uriah, to his death? Was that pleasure that good? That worth it? No. See, the bait always disguises what the consequences and what the, poss- the death it will bring in your life or someone else's life because of your sin. You must have an a, a eternal perspective. You must have even a practical reality check and not be so caught up into the bait of the shiny object that you're facing because your desires is that you want that stuff. When Jesus was tempted by Satan, he always dealt with the temptation on the basis of the word of God. Three times Jesus was facing temptations. Just like you and I. But he responded by saying what? It is written. What does that mean when it says, he says, it is written. I hope you get this, because most people, when I talk to you guys, they don't get what that means. It is written. This is God's perspective. This is God's direction. This is what pleases God. This is right and godly. That is why I don't do it. But the problem is when you're not spiritually maturing, you don't know God's word. So how can you say it is written? Why do you think, I want you to know the full counsel of God. So when you're by yourself, 
and you will be tempted. That you will stop that desire for lust. And I now keep in mind, I'm not talking sexual lust here, but lust for anything. Lust is a, is a term for anything. Not sexual desires. Everyone automatically says it's sexually. No, it's a lust for anything that you desire. And it couldn't be, it may not be a sin, but it turns to sin because it becomes such a desire, it becomes your God. It controls you emotionally, physically, mentally, it controls you. It's your God. And you can see it played out in so many places. People will hug trees and die for a tree before they will die for an unborn baby. That's how screwed up people can get in their desires. They're more sensitive to a, a little animal than it is to, to a person who is suffering. That's why it can get really twisted when your desire and your, your little gods that you can, we can have in our lives. Oh, I won't even pick on sports. Don't get me started there. I used to live that God. I understand that. That's why it's so easy for me to go to. I better move on because it's hurting for some bit here. But when we take a look at this, Jesus answered each of these t facing temptations, three of them that Satan was directly throwing directly at him. And he says, no, this is God's perspective. This is his word. This is his, what is right and good. And I live by faith and not by sight. We've looked at the emotions, the desire that can happen that draws you into temptation. We can see the intellect, how you can be deceived. There's deception in regards to your will versus God's will. But in verse 15, we see that then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Do you see the, not only the source, but do you see the steps of temptation? And understand that Christian living is about the matter of the will and not feelings. Because feelings will mislead you if it's not based on the truth of God. The steps are, that James lays out here is very clear. It's so clear. It's, if it's unchecked, lust, wherever, whatever it is, it will yield to sin. And an unconfessed sin brings death. There's not a question if it's going to bring death in your life. It, it will bring death. Look at the steps. Your desire, when fully conceived, what, what does it mean conceived? Here comes the desire. Here comes the opportunity. And they're about to conceive. And the writer here, James says, gives birth. It will come, it'll, it'll, bring, it'll bring about sin. And if sin's not dealt with, if it's not confessed, it will become full grown and be lived out. And when that happens, it will bring forth death. Desire, deception, disobedience brings death. Desire, deception, disobedience brings death. See, bringing, springing forth from corrupt desires is sin. Springing forth sin from sin is death. And it's this, in, this progression, this, this inevitable result is what brings a destruction in one's life. But let me encourage you, my brothers and sisters. Yes, the desire was not in line with God's will. Yes, you admit it. You confess it. 
You don't want anything to do with it. You want to have the power of God to help you to walk and say no to those temptations. You're no longer deceived in in following the the shiny little object. You see what it is. What you were doing was wrong. It was sinful. It was deceptive. You were deceived by the fleshly desires that you had. And then you took the next step and you confessed and you asked for forgiveness. And then the Holy Spirit came upon you and said, you're forgiven. You're no longer at death. You now live. You now live. And because you've said no to temptation and yes to God, you will have the crown of life that will be given to you rewarded and blessed by God for saying yes to him. You just have to choose that path. If we would remember that Satan only comes to steal and to kill and to destroy, John 10.10. You must remember that truth because Satan's greatest strategy to take you down is through temptation. It's convincing us emotionally that the pursuit of our comfort for our corrupt desires will somehow produce a new life, this happy life, this good life that you've designed in your head. <laughs> Are you hearing what I'm saying? That is Satan's best time. If he can get you into your head and your emotions of creating your own life for yourself, he's got you going in the direction he wants you to go. And I'm telling you, my brothers and sisters, you've got to stop that thinking and live for him according to what he desires. And, the, and when you really realize this, that Satan is not looking for your best interest. He's looking to figure out a way to steal, to kill, and destroy your life. And by effectively, re, you're not going to effectively resist the temptations that you're facing. And when you realize as a Christian, Christians often say, I don't feel like reading the Bible. I don't feel like going to church. I don't feel like praying. I don't feel like talking to anybody about the things that are going in my life. I'm just going to keep a secret and quiet and dark and I'm just going to live in... You're in trouble. You're in trouble. And when I hear those things, understand you're not spiritually mature. You need help. It's, we, we read it in the beginning of chapter 1. Children, understand, children operate on the basis of feelings. That's where they're at. They're still maturing. It's always about the feelings. But adults move from feelings and they move to operate on the basis of will. Adults act They do because it is right. And no matter how they feel, they know they have to do it. It's based on the will. I don't care how I feel about going to go to work on Monday, but I have to. I got bills to pay. I got to take care of this. You go through, you act on the will. You know it's the right thing you need to do. You're an adult. But if you don't think that way, You don't act that way. You're still a child. This explains why so many immature Christian or children easily fall into temptation because they let their feelings make the decisions and not the will of God. And have your will in line with Him. But you can mature. That's why you're here. That's why you're listening to the Word of God. That's why you're growing. That's why you're absorbing the word of God and all the counsel of God. You're getting around godly people so that you can mature so you will not be like a child and be immature spiritually. Woo! Let's finish this up. Verses 17 and 18. You know I keep going. So we saw 
How we must consider God's judgment and consequences when it comes to our life. And we see the second one here. We must consider God's goodness and divine nature. And this is where we want to leave it. We don't want to focus on the consequences. We need to focus on God's goodness and divine nature. He says right here. He says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and it comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of His, God's own will, He brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of His creatures. So here's the solution. We saw where the source of temptation comes from. We see these steps, how it can lead into temptation. But now we get the solution of dealing with temptation. He does, the reader, James doesn't leave us hanging here. Okay, how do we solve this problem in my life? Well, right, right here. The solution is the love of God. Our focus on the Father, our good, good Father, our Father of lights, the word of truth, the gift of salvation that he offers us and we have. We have to understand we'll never receive good, right things from our fallen natures. Or from those who try to entice us. But every good and every perfect gift comes from the God, the Father in heaven. And of course, the ultimate gift, the ultimate goodness of any gift, it must be measured from an eternal perspective, from an eternal basis. Something that may seem to be good, only good. Sometimes people say, oh, I, I'm gonna, if I just, I won the lottery. Oh, it'd be good to have that money. May in fact actually be turned into our, our destruction because it will cause us to face temptations you cannot handle. God's goodness is constant. It never stops. There is no variation, it says here, James says. There's no variation. Like, okay, God is a good God this way, but he's not a good God this way. No, he's no variation. He's the same God. Yesterday, today, and forevermore. Same way, same consistent. You can't say, oh, God is not good today. That's not, that's not true. That's just a feeling. Grow up. Have you ever listened to your children? Mommy, daddy don't love me. You're not a good daddy. And it's always in connection with what? They didn't get their way. So it's in the spiritual world. When you say you don't like God, you don't want to, and you don't ever say, I don't love God. No, no. It's you just stop reading the Word of God. You just stop getting around godly people. You stop talking to God. That's the same thing. When you're upset with God, you stop listening and hearing and speaking to God. You need to grow spiritually. That means God never changes. God does not grow and change like nature around us. That's process theology out there. That God grows and he's part of like nature and we're oneness of the nature. It's process theology. It's, non, it's, it's unbiblical. God, there's no variation. God never changes. God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. James understood that the gift of salvation was the given by God and not earned by any work of you or not, you and I's, or obedience and the willpower of man cannot bring salvation. It cannot bring this life that he's talking about. James is writing to the Jewish believers and he says, oh, we're the first fruits. It's like the kind of the first fruits of his creatures. But we also see in the scriptures that he had a bigger perspective. That It was not going to stop with just the Jews. It was going to the entire Gentile world. It just started with the Jews. If you remember in the previous verse here, James told us that the lust of man brings forth sin and death. Here in these verses, 
he tells us that the will of the good and loving God brings salvation to us as a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And there's no, there's no reason why one of God's chosen first fruits or regenerated believers, regenerated believers, you and I, has to give in to temptation when facing temptations. We do not have to give in to those temptations. One must learn to resist its deadly force and power that comes against you. You can never grow into the spiritual maturity God desires of his children of light. We must learn. We must continue to allow him to do that growth. It just doesn't just happen. You, can, you, you, you must continue to seek after God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength for that maturity. James 4, 7, when we get there, says, Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That's a promise for us. In Galatians 5, 5, 16, it says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Why do you fall to the lust of the flesh? Because you're not walking in the Spirit. Remember, God gives only good gifts. The way God gives to us is good. And he gives constantly with the full assurance of God that he does not change and there is no darkness in him. None. Not only is he so constant, so consistent, so the same, never changing, but there's no shadow of turning. There's no darkness when it's of things of God. Because he's light. The goodness of God is when you realize how good God is to you. You will have no interest in the temptations that your your flesh or the enemy puts before you. You won't. Because you love God more than yourself. When you're tempted, count your blessings. Count your blessings, and you will soon have the strength to say no to temptation. My brothers and sisters, we must mature in our love for God to have victory consistently and constantly over when facing temptations.